I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hi there, and welcome to the Syrupcast. If you're tuning into the Syrupcast for the first time, it's a podcast by Mobile Syrup, Canada's largest independent tech website which we look back at the week that was in Canadian telecom and tech news. This is episode 186. We're recording it on Thursday, December 13th. Uh, I'm your host, Igor Bonifacic, back after a week at the Snapdragon Tech Summit. On this week's episode, we have a stellar cast to help discuss the recent developments here in, uh, or recent Huawei developments here in Canada. Returning to the podcast is fan favorite, Daniel Bader. If you're a longtime listener of the Serbcast, Daniel needs no introduction, but here's one. He's the current editor-in-chief of Android Central. Prior to his current stint at AC, Daniel spent some six years here at Mobile Syrup. More importantly, however, since his last appearance on the podcast, he became a dad. Congrats, Dad. And welcome thank back. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. It's good to thank you for taking time out of what I'm sure is a very busy day to come and help us dissect what is a very complicated topic. Every day is a busy day, so <laughs> any excuse to get out of the house is very welcome. Happy to provide it. We also have, joining us for the first time, Shruti Shekhar. Shruti is a recent hire of Mobile Syrup. She joined us from IT World Canada. Previously, she was in that viper's nest of politics known as Ottawa, where she worked for the Hill Times. Shruti. Hi, thanks for having me. No, thank you for coming on and helping us with, like I said, a very <laughs> messy topic. Yes, definitely messy. <laughs> um, if you've been reading Mobile Syrup recently, you will have seen Shruti's byline uh, on many important articles relating to what is happening with Huawei. Last but certainly not least, uh, we have staff reporter Samir Chabra helping with uh, recording duties. Samir decided not to use a microphone today, uh, but just send him good vibes because he's helping out. Um, So as I said at the top, we're talking about Huawei. A lot has happened in the last two weeks let's say yeah literally um before i jump into questions um i have no opinions on this actually i do but (laughs) i'll let the smart people talk um you're smart too though try (laughs) um can you set the stage for us sure um i mean i don't even know where to begin uh it was a nice evening at mobile Surf's office when breaking news came out that there was an arrest made in vancouver and mm-hmm. everyone in the office was like what is happening mm-hmm. <laughs> basically long story short uh huawei's cfo that's chief operating or chief financial officer my my apologies um meng wang was actually arrested um as she was transiting uh to go back to China, I believe, um, through Vancouver. Um, and she was obviously arrested and, um, there was, uh, the U S had actually asked her to be extradited back to the U S and there was a whole issue. And, um, you know, 
the whole case was whether or not she should be granted extradition to the U.S. And so there was an actual trial that took place in Vancouver. The trial took place over, I believe, three days, Friday, Monday, and then Tuesday. And then um, on Tuesday, um, the court actually granted her bail. Um, so she has to pay $10 million, $7 million coming from cash deposits, and the remaining $3 million coming from five or more sureties. Um, and sureties are people who commit to ensuring she doesn't flee and abides by all terms of her bail. Of course, there are so many requirements of her bail. Um, she's subject to an 11 p.m. to 6 a.m. curfew wherein she must live in her Vancouver home. Um, and yeah, she has to wear a GPS tracking ankle bracelet. I mean, there's just so many intricacies to this case that, uh, yeah, there's, right. there's a lot to talk about. I think we should take a step back and kind of contextualize mm -hmm. where all of this comes from, which is obviously we have the five eyes. Yes. Uh, of which Canada is a part of. That is uh, kind of an international um, data, not data, excuse me, intelligence sharing organization. Um, if I can just make a quick aside, one day Samir and I were on this streetcar <laughs> and we misquoted the members of the Five Eyes uh -oh. and someone corrected us. I assume he was a spy. Because who else would correct you on such a detail? Uh, so or a reporter, you never know. You never know. But spies are everywhere. Um, in any case, Canada is under extreme pressure to be among the uh, uh, to join the rest of the Five Eyes. Well, three of the members. No, well, so actually, just to correct you, and mm -hmm. I apologize, it's just that they are actually members of the Five Eyes. It's just mm -hmm. that three of the five have actually banned Huawei mm -hmm. um, equipment from five G networks, and I think. That's, again, going back to what you were suggesting, that there needs to be some background to all of this, is that mm -hmm. Five Eyes is an international organization, or rather a group of countries that um, sort of share best practices and information on espionage, spying, intelligence, cybersecurity, cyber threats. Um, and of course, of the three countries, New Zealand, Australia, and the United States have all banned Huawei equipment from you know, doing any research or any operations in 5G, which is the next iteration of mm -hmm. mobile networks, right? Right. And Great Britain, such the mess that it is, who <laughs> knows what they're deciding on. Um, so I think that's a good place to start, which is, you know, the concern, quote unquote, is there are national security concerns. Mm -hmm. And I think there's, it is a seemingly very innocuous term, and I think there is a lot there to unpackage. So the question I want to just start with is, and uh, starting with you, Daniel, um, and I think it's very like the timing of this is interesting, if only because I was at this Qualcomm uh, Snapdragon Tech Summit last week, in which 5G was that was what everything was about. Uh, even about when it was about chipset, it was about or chipsets, excuse me, it was about 5G. And so it was interesting to get everyone's different take on all of this because you had basically the rainbow of takes. Um, so where do you stand on this? Do you think Huawei, the telecommunications equipment, which it sells to Canada, is there a national security concern there or is there something more going on here? Um, so, yes, I do think that there is a national security mm -hmm. uh, conversation to be had, um, you know, Going all the way back to the Nortel years, there were questions about whether Huawei equipment was used to infiltrate Canada's networks and whether the, the company, which is ostensibly independent and has no direct ties to the Communist Party, is in some ways 
responding to those requests? And should there be um, vulnerabilities or backdoors installed in Huawei's equipment, whether they're in use today, the concern is whether they will one day mm-hmm. be in use and put into use. And that is, I think, the reason why in 2012 the U.S. preemptively banned or ostensibly banned Huawei equipment from being used within the country's domestic networks. Um, you know, I think it's worth pointing out that Canada, while it has not yet banned Huawei's equipment, has barred it from being used in, in a, on a government level. And the core networks, the networks, the, the parts of the network uh, that really do uh, transfer sensitive data um, are not be, are not using Huawei equipment either by the likes of Bell and TELUS. So it's not like Huawei's relationship with um, Canada's networks is as open and transparent or as, as open and and you know, vulnerable as I think some um, make it out heads be. of uh, security and, and some pundits have made it out to be. But at the same time, the two biggest network, two of the biggest domestic networks in Canada do use Huawei equipment on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. I think it's also uh, interesting to point out when Rogers finally did announce its plans for 5G, notably missing from those plans was Huawei. Instead, the company had to decided to go with Ericsson. Um Shruti, what's your take on all this? Um, I think, you know, like Daniel was suggesting, I, I think there is, um, it, it's very important to have this conversation. I think it's it's good to have this conversation. I think one thing that we need to also take into consideration is that um, I, the reason why all of this is happening right now is because of how close we are to having 5G um, as a network. Um, it's a lot, like there's a lot of research that's being done. There's a lot of, um, you know, technology that's being developed for 5G network to actually be placed into our systems and for it to work. So I think, you know, policymakers are starting to come to that realization that, you know, we're coming closer to this, you know, being, you know, put and implemented. So, you know, I think that conversation is ramping up. Um, The second part too is, is, you know, more recently China actually, introduced its latest um, national intelligence laws. And in that, there was a draft that was leaked um, to the public because it wasn't finalized. And, you know, there was some sense of concern there because I, and I will quote, um, the document says, quote, shall support corporate uh, with collaboration in national intelligence work and maintain the secrecy of national intelligence work they are aware of. And that's any company that's Chinese based. So, I think there is a level of concern that some people have because Huawei is China China based, right? Mm-hmm. So But it's also the biggest private company in China. Exactly. And it's a darling of uh not only Chinese corporate culture, but it's the one of the few that has um been able to expand beyond the borders exactly. in a, in a really successful way. So the avenues um you know, in which it could infiltrate other networks is much broader than even a ZTE or any of the software companies like Tencent and Alibaba that are that are shown off as these massive success stories. Exactly. And I mean, even if you look at the market share of everything, you can see that Huawei's smartphones, at least, have been surpassed. Apple shares have surpassed mm-hmm. so many other companies. And it's it's pretty daunting when you have such a big company from a place like China who has a law in place that's like this 
most countries are going to say, mm, I think we need to have this conversation. Uh, Daniel, I think we've been kind of dancing around this issue, and that's the issue of 5G and how all of this plays into that next generation technology. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mentioned Qualcomm, and I think they're an important kind of accessory to this in the sense that, you know, it was only earlier this year that President Trump vetoed the acquisi- Broadcom's acquisition of uh, Qualcomm. And I think a lot of that has to do with, you know, they the quote-unquote stated reason was national security, but it really is, like, this is one of the most important technological advances in probably the next decade. And, you know, were uh, Qualcomm to be acquired by, uh, I believe Broadcom is based in Singapore and is still based in Singapore, but that would have ceded kind of leadership of this technology to Huawei, right? Mm -hmm. So I think, can you kind of unpack for us just how all of that is important and how all of that ties into this? Yeah, I mean, Qualcomm doesn't make network equipment, but it makes the chips that are put into basically every phone um, in North America. And its dominance of 5G is taken for granted almost by the North American carrier system, by um, most of Europe and, and everywhere that isn't, dominated by Asia or dominated by Huawei uh, in Asia um, you know Huawei is the fastest growing OEM in the world but it's um, it's it's important to, to point out that a lot of Chinese OEMs like like Xiaomi Oppo and Vivo the ones that are growing the fastest aside from Huawei have very very um, codependent relationships with Qualcomm and um, their first 5G phones will be not be powered by Huawei 5G mm-hmm. chips, but by Qualcomm's technology, mm-hmm. largely because Qualcomm helped develop the 5G NR standard and is further ahead in developing commercially available uh, chips, modems, antenna modules, everything that makes up a 5G powered product than, than um, Huawei or even Samsung or Intel. So, you know, the the dominance of, of Qualcomm, I think, is not to be overstated here. And Huawei was notably missing last week in Maui, right? There's uh, Qualcomm has great relationships with Nokia, with uh, Cisco, with Ericsson, but definitely not with, Xiaomi, with um, Huawei, and that's not a mistake. Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting, you know, uh, when they finally uh, showed off the 855, uh, they had these fabulous charts with no X or Y axes. Um, <laughs> My favorite kind of Amazon chart. <laughs> yeah. And uh, the best euthanism of the event was, uh, how did it go? Uh, an Android compatible seven nanometer chip that launched earlier this year. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Instead of just, you know, calling what it is. Yeah. Right. Um, and it, it was interesting because like so much of the Qualcomm crowd there clapped for every single mention of that, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so that's a really great point. Mm-hmm. Um, some, I think, I think in some respects, there's still more to unpack with kind of 5G and just how much, you know, I understand where this fear is coming from in the sense of like just how revolutionary this technology might be to how we do not just business, but how different segments and verticals operate. Is that something we can unpack some more for listeners? Yeah, I mean, mm. there's, there's, it, it can't be overstated how important 5G is. 
the problem is that the potential there is is quite ephemeral right now. Mm-hmm. We really don't know, other than the marketing uh, that companies like Xiaomi and I keep saying Xiaomi, like Huawei and and Qualcomm and Ericsson and Cisco and all the these companies that have huge stakes in the market, what they've put out. Um, I really don't think it's going to be you know real time VR gaming that's that's going to totally. make that's going to put five G on the map. Um, or remote healthcare, at least in the short term. Uh, but those are the the kinds of pie in the sky categories and and, and um, examples that these companies can offer us. And I think, just like we didn't realize how 4G or LTE would um, change our lives as it has, and you can see it with the apps you use in your on your phone every day. I think we don't know the potential there. And I think the reason that there's a protectionist stance around the the technology is just that it's basically the the atom bomb of telecommunications. Mm-hmm. If you use it, and we will use it, it's going to have an enormous effect. And if it's put into the wrong hands, it can be incredibly damaging. Mm-hmm. And whether Huawei is that danger, uh, I can't say for sure. But a lot of the um, a lot of a lot of the people with stakes in in 5G are saying, let's be safe than sorry. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I think the argument too is that, you know, I think the reason why there's a lot of, I mean, aside from the fact that Huawei is a Chinese company and it's it's um, mainly based in China, obviously, um, I think it's because of how quickly the company has, you know, researched and figured out how to make use of 5g and and actually put that into the system and no other company has yet been able to get to that level yet and i think everyone is sort of being like you know i think everyone wants to get on that bandwagon right Mm -hmm. like everyone wants to be able to have that technology and like daniel said like no one really is able to understand like what can we use 5g for Mm -hmm. you know i was talking to patrick earlier patrick O'Rourke, our managing editor that you know, a lot of the cases for 5G would be, you know, using it in rural um, rural cities or sorry, rural areas in Canada where uh, Internet is not really that prevalent or very mm-hmm. much accessible. Um, and that's totally possible. But what about like projects like, you know, smart city projects? Um, how how would 5G be used there? Mm-hmm. My best the best use case that was presented at the uh, tech summit was I believe it was AT&T came on stage and they had this slide and the label was virtual presence and there was basically this like ghost veteran of the like, ghost dad the ghost dad and yeah. he was just there with his kids and it was <laughs> it was uh it was something else um i want to ask um how if um how if any way does this affect the rollout of 5G in Canada do you do you foresee it being stalled i don't think that it will necessarily stop or get stalled i think it might um get pushed back because i think that i think policymakers and researchers and developers of this technology are aware of how important it is and how it will actually be helpful but i think that because it's nearing so close to deadline i think people are kind of worried but i think i'd like to compare this to marijuana for like two seconds (laughs) um So when we were debating marijuana, um, I think there was a lot, obviously there was like so much debate, you know, how are we going to make this legal? How are we going to deal with people who are high on the road? How are we going to deal with all the policy? And I think there was a lot of debate on how we're going to get all of that and make it actually work. Hmm. 
And, um, you know, that date did extend a little bit from when they projected when that law would pass to when it actually passed and when it would actually be available in Canada. And I think a similar case would happen with 5G because 5G is, again, it's something that's brand new. It's, it's never been, you know, you don't understand. So I think that there's going to be a point in that policymaker decision process where it's like debating, implementing, and then actually it happening in Canada. So I don't think it will stop. I just think it might get stalled. Um, yeah, I, I agree with that. But I also think we have to put into perspective just how far behind Canada is in terms of rolling out spectrum that will be essential for 5G. Um, we have not yet rolled out 600 megahertz. We are still in the process of rolling out um, 3.5 gigahertz, which is considered sub-6, which is some of the prime real estate that will be used for 5G. And we have not um, auctioned off any so-called millimeter wave spectrum in Canada. All of those airwaves uh, are essential for the exactly. proper rollout of 5G. Yeah. So whether, um, you know, AT&T and Verizon and to some extent um, Sprint have promised, you know, commercial rollouts of 5G by the end of 2018 with more cities being onboarded in the first and second half of 2019, um, which will then be considered a national. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Rollout. Canada won't have that opportunity until at least 2021. We will have some uh, availability of 3.5 gigahertz spectrum in the short term in 2019 and beyond. And that will offer the uh, ability for, uh, for some very limited rollouts of 5G spectrum in urban areas like Toronto and Vancouver, Montreal, the places where LTE happened first. Um, but it's very early to say that if Canada bans Huawei today, there will be any major delay or upset only because Huawei, while it does have a great partnership with with Bell and Telus, um, it's it's not the only game in town. Yeah, and I also want to just point out that um, let's be real now. I mean, I think I think something that we should also remember is when and how did this Huawei debate actually begin? Because when, you know, I would say like maybe three years ago was Huawei even in the spectrum of having this conversation. I mean, I think it was always a, a conversation of oh yeah, we should keep our eyes on it, but it was never a huge threat. It wasn't until really President Donald Trump came into his position and really declared that we didn't want Huawei to be, you know, anywhere involved with the U.S. And so that debate started happening and there was more eyes on Huawei. Again, I'm not sitting here and defending Huawei or anything. I'm just putting out a little bit of perspective on, like, when did this actually happen and, you know, why is this happening right now? Well, of course, like, uh, so I think the uh, the important context to this is that, you know, a lot of... Um Donald Trump's politics come from Steve Bannon, right? And famously, one of the things that Steve Bannon has said is that uh, the U.S. will fight the next world war in the South China Sea, right? Like, he has continually, for the president, placed 
China as an antagonist. And, mm -hmm. I, you know, it makes a lot of sense in some ways because, you know, one is wants to become the world's next biggest superpower. The other wants to retain exactly. that position, right? And so there's always, whatever the conversation, there is always a political context to it. Absolutely. And, and even though, you know, our prime minister, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, has actually come out and said, you know, her arrest or Meng Wanzhou's arrest was not a political thing. Mm -hmm. We were just doing, we were following the law. You know, she had seven fake passports or, she, had, yeah. she had seven fake passports or whatever it was and that's why we we decided to arrest her it was not a political thing but you know i think in everyone else's eyes especially in the u.s it's it's a political thing well i also think it's important to actually talk about the crimes that she's mm -hmm. accused of of mm -hmm. doing Absolutely. in the u.s facilitating the sale of of equipment to um iran Absolutely. while iran was under sanctions by the u.s on U.S. soil yeah. is a crime. And if that's true, then she should be arrested just like any other citizen. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, the reality is that the contentious relationship between China and the U.S. at the moment uh, was, was sort of coincidental, not to mention the fact that Huawei has been under such pressure, not just by the U.S., but by Australia and New Zealand over the last few months. And all three of those countries have express concern, uh, security concerns about Huawei, and um, the U.S. keeps hammering Canada to ban equipment pr uh, proactively. So this is just bad timing, but it's still kind of a coincidence. Yeah, mm -hmm. and, and exactly. I think it's kind of comical that it is also bad timing because when we are in the midst of figuring out what 5G really is, all of this happens. And then it it's almost like, you know, you're... you're telling people something preemptively telling people something before it has even happened when we don't even know what 5g can can do for us it's also i think interesting kind of just to examine this from the canadian perspective which is that you know here we have a presidency probably it's safe to say one of the most mercurial presidents in certainly recent history <laughs> um and you have china or canada excuse me that wants to build relationships with china wants to kind of create trade deals lower its dependence on the u.s and then it's put into this kind of let's say proxy war <laughs> where it has to decide and pick a side mm -hmm. right um i think we've we've talked a lot about the kind of telecommunication side of this and i think for a lot of just people who let's say are if they like their mate 20 or their P20 Pro, they're kind of confused about what this means from that perspective. Um, so whatever the fallout of this, what do you guys think is the outcome for Huawei Canada? Huawei Canada is not going anywhere. The yeah, ties to the country are, are pretty extensive. The relationships with the carriers are extensive. And whether Huawei has its network equipment banned will probably not have much impact on its ability to sell phones. Mm -hmm. um, even in the U.S., AT&T and Verizon voluntarily stopped any potential sales of Huawei phones. Um, they were not banned from doing so. So I don't think it would have an impact there. I think for the average consumer, they will have questions about whether Huawei equipment is safe. And that's, an, that's something that they're going to have to do a lot of work to, to, to heal.
Yeah, and I think just to to go off of what Daniel was saying as well, I think it's also very important for consumers to understand that there is a difference between the network and the actual device, right? I mean, um, right now the conversation that everyone's having is the network, but that doesn't have anything to do with smartphone sales. Like, for all you know, they could ban the network and still be able to sell their devices, and so that won't really do anything. Um I did speak with a couple of MPs a few weeks ago. Um, those That's members of parliament, sorry, I apologize, federal members of parliament. Um, who I've actually asked them, I'm like, you know, is this possible? Can you ban this phone from this country? And they even said to me, it's kind of a difficult thing to even consider at this point because we don't even know what threat there is. And if we do decide to ban it, it goes through an entire process, right? Like, I mean, when that was the whole issue with Samsung blowing up, I mean, they had to go through Health Canada and it was like a whole thing that they, you know, announced to the public. But this situation is kind of different. What reason do they have to ban the actual device versus the phone or sorry, the network? So I don't think it's going to go any anywhere anytime soon. And also it's important to note that they've been here for almost 10 years, if not more. So I, and you guys feel free to jump in and disagree with me here and correct me. But I think in some ways, you know, Huawei is a scapegoat in terms of the devices. Um, there are much kind of bigger, more important targets, such as the Facebooks and Googles of the world, right? Um, at the end of the day, these devices are still running Android. They still run all the apps that collect all of this location information. And whether you own a Huawei device or not, you um, are kind of, that's something you have to deal with. And on top of that, you know, we have, I think Western democracies have shown that they're very actually interested in spying on their own <laughs> citizens, right? Certainly we saw in, you know, when the San Bernardino shooting happened, there was that standoff between the FBI uh, and Apple. And then more recently, you know, you haven't used, uh, I believe it's actually in Australia, excuse me, um, this anti-encryption law that they want to pass. Um, so those are almost two separate issues, right? That are, yeah. although seemingly, I, well, obviously they're related, but yeah, there's kind of different things at play there. Yeah. I think it's interesting that Huawei's um, biggest growth is happening in Western Europe, at, just as it's begun enforcing GDPR and the the policies around data protection which to to which Huawei is is uh, um, kept the same as any other country uh, company and you know Huawei is a is is just a smartphone manufacturer the same as any other as Samsung as Xiaomi as as you know as Apple Absolutely. And, and they have to adhere to the same limitations as their respective operating system owners. Google owns Android. Uh, it offers the same um, bundles to those smartphone manufacturers uh, in Western Europe. And and Huawei is no different there. I don't think people in Europe have much of a, I've never, I haven't heard anything anecdotally about whether they fear their phones are more insecure. Um, and I, I agree with you to some extent that the smartphone business is a little is is being affected more um, disproportionately than um, than it should be. However, it's the same company, mm -hmm. so you know. Yeah, and I mean it goes back to that whole giving the country any information that has to do with national security or national intelligence. I mean, they're providing a smartphone that has these apps on it that could potentially give all the data that is carried or collected from the user. 
I mean, again, those are all hypotheticals and I don't want to get into that because I don't necessarily know if that is the case or not. But again, I would agree with you and as well as Daniel that, yeah, I mean, you have to adhere to some standards and then also it, it's possible like your information could be stolen. <laughs> So, unlike certain uh, ministers, we do enjoy speculation here. So, I will ask you guys, um, how do you see, like, this in the near future panning out? I think Huawei's network equipment will be banned in Canada. Mm -hmm. I I think that is a foregone conclusion based on uh, a number of factors. One, uh, they have been under pressure by the current U.S. administration with which they're trying to forge better ties um, I do think that they have alternatives, albeit more expensive ones like Ericsson and Nokia that will probably be passed along to consumers. So the price of your phone, the price of your service may go up, but it's going to go up anyway because it's Canada. Um, you know, and then there, there's the fact that uh, New Zealand and Australia, two countries with very, very uh, different types of governments have pro- preemptively banned Huawei equipment, and uh, so does so is Japan, and I don't think it'll be long until the UK does the same thing. I think Canada will be the, the the outlier, and they'll have no choice. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I'm a little split on this because I think that our prime minister, um, and I'm not a liberal, just to let you guys know, I'm I'm nonpartisan, but just from his past. Um, you know, sort of dealings with the U.S. and sort of how he's kind of reacted with with Donald Trump, uh, Mr. Trump, um, you know, it's very possible that he might take a stance against him and say, you know what, this is our country. We're going to do what we need to do and we're going to kind of continue on with our relationship with Huawei. So I, I don't I don't know. I honestly don't know. But again, if if we have three countries from the five eyes that are already on this ban, and the UK decides to get on this ban as well. It's it's it wouldn't be long before it become the four it. eyes at that point. <laughs> exactly, basically. So, yeah, I, nobody it, wants a nerd. No, so. yeah, no one wants that weirdo sitting in the corner. That's yeah. me right now. <laughs> yeah. Um. So moving on from Huawei, um, wonderful premier Doug Ford, greatest premier <laughs> ever, uh, recently introduced a new bill, Bill sixty six. It is quite overarching, um, and. It does touch on one interesting thing, which is consumer protections as it comes to wireless. Um, Shruti, you again wrote that story. Do <laughs> yes. you want to set us the scene for us and then we'll go from there? Sure. Uh, basically, the, the bill is titled Restoring Ontario's Competitiveness Act by Amending or Repealing Certain Acts. So in short, is basically going through all the acts and uh, that we currently have in Ontario and figuring out whether it's going to be beneficial to Ontario's competitiveness. Um, and one of the clauses in that is to actually repeal the Wireless Services Agreement Act, which was enacted in 2013 by the then Liberal government, uh, sorry, um, government in, in, in Ontario. Uh, and that, that essentially means that um, certain provisions would be removed, um, mainly having any ability to do class, class action lawsuits um, with uh, telecom providers or carriers. Um, so that's basically the gist of it. So I was around during that time. I saw the Wireless Code of Conduct come into effect federally um, as enforced by the CRTC and then backed up by federal um, regulation, uh, federal legislation. Um, you know, the, the wireless code of conduct is, is, is it's voluntary in a, in a sense, right? You, yeah. um, you, you, you aren't 
the carriers are not required to adhere to it. It's just it's best practices with a um, with any resolutions being um, dealt with by the CTS. CCTS. CCTS. Sorry, yeah. I never remember no that acronym. <laughs> um, and. And, and so far, I think it's worked out pretty well. So it's, it's important to note as well with the wireless code um, is that, again, as Daniel mentioned, is that it's not in, in any way will reprimand um, uh, any of the carriers. In essence, uh, what a person has to do is if they have any issues with their carrier, they have to go back to their carrier and deal with it themselves. And if resolution doesn't take place, then they go to the CCTS and file an official complaint. Um, and I think the biggest thing with that is that each complaint is dealt individually. That's very important to note because that's what the wireless services agreement said that, you know, it wouldn't be dealt individually. Those things would be remained in 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 the courts. I don't think the wireless services agreement um, was maintained to the same extent as the wireless code of conduct. It's been the wireless code has been updated twice since its incarnation in 2013. Major overhauls that. Um, add a lot of consumer protections that are really necessary. It, it, it um, accounts for things like family plans, which weren't in, in the first revision of the wireless code. Um, I don't think the, uh, the, the removal of this um, wireless services act within the Bill 66 is a problem. In fact, the PIAC, um, the, actually uh, John Lawson, came out and said that he supports this, which is interesting. Yeah. Is it not John Lawson anymore? It's No, Lawford. Lawford, Lawford sorry. John Lawford. So anyway, I, I think it's you know it's important to point out that even advocacy groups are not, oppo- not all of them are opposed to this. <laughs> yeah, and, and that was also the thing too. You know, in hindsight, when I first wrote the article, I was just kind of really perturbed because I myself didn't really know what, what was going on. Um, but then when I read a little bit more into it and spoke to some of the advocacy groups, they were all saying, well, you know, honestly, there's a lot of overlap that goes on with the wireless services agreement and the code. So why not just remove the, the agreement? And I also uh, just, uh, you know, the thing I most took away from it was there was a point John Lawford made, which is, you know, wireless should be the kind of jurisdiction of the federal government. It's too important to kind of divide up to the provinces. And I think that is like a really important point that it should be all strengthened through the federal government. Because, I mean, these companies anyway, they operate, well, three of them anyway operate uh across the country there are some regional providers not enough but that is a separate podcast yeah and i think the important thing to note as well is that um you know a lot of carriers individuals advocacy groups put a lot of effort into reviewing that wireless code just recently and they they did a lot of work together to figure out how can we be accountable how can we help consumers how can we protect their rights and i think that's what john lawford was sort of telling me was that you know we did so much work why do we need to poke the ribs of these telecom providers more by having this agreement you know mm-hmm. we should respect what we've done and and kind of move on from that so yes i agree <laughs> all right <laughs> on that note i think we're in agreement there um shout outs who wants to start What's a shout out? That's a good question. If you're joining the podcast for the first time, listening, or in this case, helping host it, a (laughs) shout out is, well, it can be anything, whether it's a book, a piece of music, a piece of news, you can shout out whatever. I'll start uh, just because I'm the host, I guess. Uh, My shout out goes to um, 
the new Fella album. Fella is a very great electronic producer. Uh, the album is called Clarity. It just came out a couple days ago, so no one will consider it in their year-end lists because they've already written them. It's a shame. <laughs> what can you do? Such is life. Uh, Daniel? My shout-out is to Super Smash Brothers Ultimate, um, the best game that I've played this year so far, and I've played a lot of them. Um, it brings me back to my days in university when my roommates and I would get home from classes and spend more hours than we should have playing Super Smash Brothers Melee on GameCube, um, which was more fun than I've had, you know, that, than I can, you know, really put into words. It's one of those games that just brings people together. Uh, and if you have a, a Nintendo Switch, I highly recommend it, even though at $80, Switch games are insanely overpriced in Canada. But, uh, that's it's because, another podcast. That's because of our economy, <laughs> not because of Nintendo. Yeah. My shout out is I don't have one because I didn't know that we had to have shout outs, but I'm going to be cheesy and I'm going to say my shout out is to the Mobile Syrup team for being so amazing and hiring me on. And I hope you guys enjoy my articles and everyone's articles here because we work really hard. So that's my shout out. Most of you work hard. I just try to coast <laughs> along. Uh, just mediocrity every single day. Um, make sure to follow Mobile Syrup at Mobile Syrup, whether that's on Instagram, Twitter, or uh, Facebook. Uh, if you've not read our website, it's mobilesyrup.com. It's pretty good. Not like maplesyrup.com. Not maple syrup. No. no. <laughs> it's like maple syrup for mobile phones mobile that's phones. how i explain it to exactly. americans and they're like this is so quaint and cute it's so canadian <laughs> um dan where can people find you i'm on twitter and instagram at journey dan and you can find all my work at AndroidCentral.com. and you really should check out his instagram account because so many cute pictures lots of baby photos <laughs> baby photos but excellent dog photos as well shout out to my puppy oh <laughs> zadie is the cutest <laughs> And where can people find you, Shruti? Um, I'm on Twitter at Shruti underscore Shakar. And that's spelled S-H-R-U-T-I underscore S-H-E-K-A-R. It's complicated. I get it. And my Instagram's Shruti Shakar, one word. Names are complicated. <laughs> and on that... Very proud of it, though. Yes. <laughs> on that note, uh, we'll catch you hopefully next week. Um, maybe we'll talk about Freedom Mobile. Let's. Who knows? We'll figure it out. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Take it easy. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> 